Thanks for listening to iTruths, the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church of Texarkana, Texas. I'm Richard Hornock, the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, and the following is a message that I delivered during one of our Sunday morning worship services. I trust that it will be beneficial to your walk with Jesus Christ. Thanks again. But I love the story of the young father who was reading a uh, fairy tale to his young daughter right before bedtime. And it was, uh, you know, your typical fairy tale story. I mean, she was the damsel in distress, and he was the young, handsome, courageous prince. And he saved her, and it was high romance. And uh, the dad read the story really well, and his little girl's eyes were really big, and she just was right there with it. And then he got to the end, and we all know what the end of the story is, and he said, do you know what happened next? And she said, what? And he said, they lived happily ever after. And she said, uh-uh. And he said, uh-uh, what do you mean? And she said, they got married. <laughs> I just let it sink in. Okay, marriage is in hard straits. Uh, I don't know who said it, but uh, they said it well, that all marriages are happy. It's the living together that is hard, okay? That's, uh, that's where the tough part comes. You know, uh, seriously speaking, I mean... If there's ever an area of our life that's in hard straits, it's the whole institution of marriage. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, you know, a million years ago, yeah. But truth of the matter is, you heard, it seemed like every marriage you saw was, you know, kind of successful, happy, healthy, and, and just a real rare thing when that marriage broke up. You know, today, it's not so much like that. In fact, I think one of the reasons people are delaying marriage so much, you know, because the average age now is high 20s or so before a person marries, I think obviously one of the reasons that that's going on is because those of us that aren't married aren't making it look so good. I mean, I've talked to young single adults, and they're like, you know, hey, I got a good life. Now, why would I want to mess it up, you know, by doing that? I've seen the pain. I've seen the struggle. It's kind of like something I heard this this last week. I mean, the only pain worse than being single and wanting to be married is being married and wanting to be single. It really is true. And so with all of that said, uh, guess what we're talking about today? We're talking about marriage. You know, I remember when uh, Vicki and I were uh, relatively new uh, to ministry, and uh, a couple came to us, or actually the woman came to us, and she wanted uh, she wanted our advice. And uh, this is back when my office was down there in what is now kind of the craft room, storage room that's next to the Awana office, if you know what's going on down in that building. And Vicki and I were sitting there and talking to her and listening to her, And essentially what she was asking me is how much longer do I have to stay it out, stick it out in this thing? And, you know, two things really struck me. One, I saw the incredible pain that she was in. 
Never seen that before. It's the first time. Seen it a lot since. That was our first time to see it. And the second thing was, she was looking to me. I mean, she wasn't even looking to Vicky. I mean, it was all on me. When can I quit? And she wanted to know what I thought. And I thought, wow, what a responsibility. You know, marriage, marriage, we can joke about it. But the truth of the matter is marriage is serious business. There's probably no other relationship that you could ever enter into that can bring you so much joy and bring you so much pain. And so I think it's uh, really kind of interesting that when Jesus Christ was training his disciples and preparing them for life after the cross and resurrection and his ascension back to heaven, one of the things he talked about was the disciples' marriage. So uh, before we look at it, I just want to pray and ask for God's help in what I'm about to say and in God's help in how you're going to hear it. Because I think there's this is one topic we all need to really know God's truth in. So let me pray. Father, I pray right now that you would open up our eyes and our ears And I pray, Father, that you would uh, give us the ability to allow the Holy Spirit to have complete and total freedom to lead us and guide us and to teach us. And so, uh, Lord, right now we just want to uh, commit this time to you and ask for your help. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you got a Bible, take it and turn with me to Matthew 19. Now, where are we in the story of Matthew? We've been working our way through the book of Matthew, and believe it or not, we're going to get through with it uh, before uh, the spring is out. But where we are in the story is Jesus has offered himself as their king, willing to initiate their kingdom, but they're rejecting it. And that was all plan A. And... Jesus knew about it, and one of the things Jesus did was when it became apparent that the people were going to reject him, and he was actually going to go back to heaven only to someday return and establish that kingdom, what was going to happen in the meantime? The church, us, Jews and Gentiles together who would know who he was. And what Jesus was doing, and we've been seeing this from chapters 14 all the way up to 20, Matthew 14 through 20, is that section of Matthew where Jesus is preparing Peter, James, John, and the rest to be the heads of the church, to be the leaders of the church. And it's interesting, if you look at all the subjects he's talked about, they're important topics. They're things they needed to know, like we saw last week about how to forgive and the importance of forgiveness how to deal with people that that fall into sin and won't acknowledge it and help them come back to, you know, following Jesus Christ. Well, today's subject is how to deal with your marriage. So look at Matthew 19. You know, the first couple verses there kind of give us just a, a little bit of the story. Remember, Jesus has been up in Galilee And that's where he spent most of his time. So he's been about a 100 miles or so north of Jerusalem. But now 
He's ready to move down towards Jerusalem because he's got an appointment with the cross. So literally, we're maybe four or five months out from when Jesus was crucified. And Matthew tells us that Jesus went from Galilee down towards the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. So he's getting closer and closer and closer to Jerusalem. Then look at verse 3. Some Pharisees came to him. Pharisees were these religious leaders. They were kind of the, the, the denominational leaders that, that, that basically said, here's what we believe. Here's how we live. Here's, here's, uh, how you should be on the spiritual side of life. And just in essence, Jesus Christ has been revealing that they were just totally corrupt spiritually dead, even though they were supposed to be the spiritual leaders. And they're the ones who primarily had rejected Jesus and are trying to figure out how can we get this guy off of the stage with as little drama as possible. I mean, they don't necessarily want to execute him on a cross. They hadn't gotten that desperate yet. They will. All they want to do is just, let's see if we can somehow discredit him so that all these people will quit listening to him. Well, what better thing to talk to him about than marriage? Marriage and divorce. Remember a couple years earlier, someone asked John the Baptist about marriage and divorce, and what happened to him? He got his head chopped off. So, I mean, that's pretty good. Get a preacher to stick his neck out, and usually he'll cut his head off. So they ask him. So look at verse 3. So some Pharisees came to him testing him, not because they really wanted to know his answer. They were just hoping he would commit a misstep there and the crowds would go elsewhere. And they said, isn't it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause at all? Now, when you really look at the question they asked and how they asked it and kind of the motivations that were behind it, you know, they're asking for information. And that information was basically this. When can I get a divorce? That was essentially their thing. And, and, you know, they knew there was a lot of opinions on that, and this would count, that counts, and some other things. And, and quite frankly, they didn't really care. They were just hoping to get Jesus to trip up. But this was a good question to ask because Jesus knew that the disciples, the people that were going to be part of his church, needed to have a good marriage so that they could accomplish something. And so I think God, the Holy Spirit, inspired Matthew to include this story because this was a story we needed to know because there was a great truth that was going to be taught here by Jesus. Well, what's interesting, okay, they're asking, when can I get a divorce? Can I divorce if she maxes out the credit card one too many times? Can I divorce if if he's just, you know, the biggest jerk and continues to be it. You know, what can, what are my grounds for divorce? Well, look at how Jesus answers the question. He doesn't really answer that question. What he does is he goes and says, hey, let's just talk about why marriage is even part of God's plan in the first place. Look at verse four. And he answered and he said, Have you not read, and remember, they're the religious people, they're the spiritually-minded people, supposedly. I mean, they're supposed to be people that actually do read the Old Testament. And he says, Have you not read 
that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. That's a quote out of Genesis 1, 27. And said, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two become one flesh. That's a quote out of Genesis 2, verse 24 and 25. So what Jesus does in response to their question about when can you get a divorce, he doesn't answer that question. What he says is let's talk about what marriage is in the first place. Why did God include marriage in this whole thing? And Jesus is assuming something here that is true. And that is marriage was not just some, uh, you know, uh, custom ordinance that, that civilized city, uh, civilizations came up with. It was something God actually instituted. In fact, if you look throughout Scripture, the first institution that God ordained, that God created, was marriage. And so when you go to Genesis 1, Genesis 2, you've got the, 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 the foundational principles of what marriage is. And that's what Jesus is doing there. And he, he quotes from chapter 1, that God made a male and female. And he quotes from chapter 2, that's why God causes a person to leave father and mother, cleave to that spouse, and together become one flesh. And when you put all of those together, essentially what he is talking about there is how God has designed marriage to be this thing that brings about incredible unity, or a good word is oneness, between a man and a woman. It, it takes those two and makes them one. And that's why in verse 6, Jesus said, Consequently, they are no more two, but one flesh. And he says, man, what God's joined together, let no man separate. Now, what you got there is kind of the seeds of a definition of marriage. And there's lots of other passages in the Bible that talk about them. Malachi 2 talks about marriage, talks about it being a covenant. Ephesians 5 talks about marriage and talks about how it's this, this thing that demonstrates this mystical relationship between Jesus and his church and all that stuff. And, and so when you take all of that, I just wanted to take a minute here to just leave this passage for a moment and just put up what I think is a biblical definition of marriage. I mean, you know, it's kind of one of the things that's been going on in the last five to ten years, you know, as a, as a, as a society. Western civilization is saying, what is marriage? You know, and who could be married, married and, and where does it go? Let me, let me give you a definition here. It's not perfect because I wrote it, but it's almost perfect. Okay. But here, you might want to jot this down. What is marriage? Marriage is a divinely ordained covenant relationship between a man and a woman that demonstrates and pursues oneness that should result in companionship, fulfillment, and procreation. That's what marriage is. When you take all those passages like Matthew 
19, Mark 4, uh, the passage in Mark, 1 Corinthians 7, Ephesians 5, Malachi 2, Genesis 1, Genesis 2. And you put all of those together. If you guys were willing to have about a 10-minute or a 10-hour sermon, that's what we'd arrive at after we analyzed all those passages. It's not, you know, what did human beings come up with? What is history evolved for marriage? It's what did God say about marriage? Marriage is this divinely ordained thing. It's God's idea. It wasn't man's idea. It wasn't woman's idea. It, was, it wasn't something human beings came up with. It was something God came up with. It was God that looked at Adam and said, hey, it's not good that he's alone. I'm going to make for him a helper suitable. And he ended up creating Eve. And then shortly thereafter, you have this quote that Jesus quoted here. That's why a man leaves father and mother and cleaves to his wife, and the two become one flesh. It's a divinely ordained covenant relationship. Covenant. You know, if you go through the Bible and and analyze the whole idea of what is a covenant, covenant is something that involves sacrifice, giving. Both people have skin in the game. Both people have left stuff to pursue this new relationship, and, and there's great cost to get into it, and there's great cost to get out of it. It's between a man and a woman. We're doing a whole bunch of discussion about that, but God's Word, if you take it at face value, is pretty clear on that, that demonstrates and pursues this oneness, this one flesh relationship. That's not just talking about physical intimacy. That's talking about being a, a, a kindred spirit. They're talking about being a, a soulmate, talking about being people that are, that are committed to, to going in the same direction and the same life purpose and, and, you know, making each other better. And, and, and there's that, 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 that synergism that the two together are more than just what one and one add up to it's 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 more we're making each other better there's a oneness there and it it should it's should result in companionship there should be this friendship this intimate friendship this loyalty that exists there's there's a deep fulfillment kind of back to that oneness thing and the normal thing would be that you're fruitful and multiply that's where children come you know, I, found, I was thinking through this, and we could keep talking about it even more, more. But it's kind of interesting. Obviously, our society in the last five, seven, eight years, totally discussing that second point. I find it interesting. One of the things we're doing is we're trying to figure out about that second point because we've already abandoned the other three points. I mean... You know, we as as Bible believers who are trying to live life according to how God has revealed life should be in the Bible, in a way, we're coming to this discussion a little late. I mean, where were we 50 years ago when our laws were changing about how marriages could end? Were we still pursuing and recognizing that this is a covenant relationship. You don't just walk away for no reason at all. Were we, were we looking and saying, this, this isn't 
me that did this. This was God who brought us together. I mean, we've already forfeited the first one. The idea of oneness and pursuing oneness. I mean, most married people don't even have a clue as to what that's even talking about. You know, maybe a hundred years ago, the whole idea that, that the normal thing of children coming about comes about in that marriage relationship with the advent of contraceptives and all that stuff. I mean, what's going on now? I mean, shoot. You know, kids, you can take care of that. We can figure out how to not do those, you know? It's like we've forfeited. We were, we were AWOL on all those other three things, but now when the most obvious one is being questioned, we're saying, hey, wait a minute, man and a woman. And no wonder the world's not really listening to us because, you know, in their mind, it's not a divinely ordained covenant relationship. I mean... You know, what's it for? Well, sometimes it's for a tax break. Sometimes it's just for free intimacy. Try not to be real blunt here. Sometimes it's for lots of reasons other than pursuing oneness. Uh, you know, when, when we fall out of companionship or friendship or you know, uh, disagree about how to procreate or how much to procreate, you know, well, then it's time to, to bolt. We've, we've forfeited our discussion, forfeited our right to enter into the discussion. And so we're kind of at the coming into the argument a little bit late, unfortunately. The truth of the matter is when you go to Scripture, those are the basic elements of marriage. And so back to Matthew 19, when the Pharisees asked Jesus, when can I get a divorce? Jesus came back and said, have you not read? And he quickly gave them the definition and the purpose, the why and the what of marriage based on those two quotes. And that's why in verse 6, he said, therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And, you know, I know that they got what he was saying, because look at how the Pharisees responded in verse 7. They said to him, well, if that's true, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce? I mean, why, why did Moses in Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 to 3, Permit divorce. I mean, if marriage was supposed to be this lifelong covenant relationship that is, is basically indivisible because you're pursuing this oneness and it's there for companionship, procreation, fellowship, all of those things, why in the world would Moses have allowed some divorce? They knew what he was saying. He was saying this is a lifelong covenant commitment that was supposed to be taking place. I mean, look down at verse 10. We're not going to deal with it, but look look at how the disciples responded. They said, man, if this is what marriage is, it's better not to even marry in the first place because they were looking around and they're saying, that ain't the way I'm seeing marriage. I mean, if I knew that was what marriage was about, 
I'd do something different. So both the disciples and the Pharisees caught what Jesus was saying. What Jesus was saying is essentially what's there on the screen. But then the Pharisees said, we've asked you a legitimate question. We want an answer. Let's go back up to verse uh, 7 and then spill it into verse 8. They're saying, we asked you about divorce. When can I get a divorce? And that's where Jesus answered the question. Okay, well, let me just tell you why divorce. And, you know, this is one of those things that, that, you know, it's kind of like when we talked about church discipline a couple of weeks ago. We don't talk about this very much. You know, it's been a long time since, you know, we get into the specifics of it because it's, it's you know, it's delicate. You're walking on eggshells. You're talking about things that are real-life experiences because it is true that divorce is very common. Is there really an exception? Well, look. let's look at what Jesus said here. He basically said, why, why did Moses allow divorce? Look at verse 8. He said it was because of the hardness of heart that Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But remember, it was not that way from the beginning. You know, essentially what Jesus is saying there, he's not saying it's sin on this person or sin on that person. He's just saying divorce is the result of a hardness of heart, a, a sinfulness of heart. And it might not be, might not have been your hardness of heart. Maybe it was the person you were married to. It might not have been your hardness of heart. It was your parents' hardness of heart. But essentially, he was saying it, it, it did, it, it, it's not part, or excuse me, it is part of, of the system, not because God wanted it to be part of the system. It became part of the system because of the hardness of our heart. And I think there Jesus is just saying, life, living in a fallen world, living with sinners, because everyone is a sinner except for Jesus, Everyone hurts, everyone inflicts pain, everyone falls short, and God in His grace and His mercy put it in there. But that's not the way it was supposed to be. And I think one of the the things that you get out of this, and I'll review it again here when I summarize everything, is he's not saying, he's kind of chastising these Pharisees because it's almost like they were saying, you know, can I get an exception that I can take advantage of this thing? And Jesus was basically chastising them and saying, no, marriage shouldn't be the first option, or divorce shouldn't be the first option. It should always be the absolute last option. Because it's not supposed to be that way. God doesn't want it no matter what the circumstances are. And so look at verse 9. He says, I say to you, who ever divorces his wife except for, and my translation has it, immorality. If you got an older King James, it might say fornication or something else. But that word, immorality, that is translated immorality, it's the Greek term pornonia 
We get pornography, the English word pornography from it. Pornania. And pornania is, is, is like this, this concept of, of sexual sin that, that is, is extreme and habitual and it, it includes lots of things, but he's basically not totally defining it so that you've got, you know, this nice fine line of knowing, you know, that's just a little sexual sin, but oh, all of a sudden now we're into pornania. It, it, it's like it's that kind of a concept there. And he says, except for pornania, if you divorced your wife, married someone else, that'd be adultery, which obviously is pornania included in this pornania. So essentially, what is Jesus saying? He's basically limiting it to that one exception. Now, the thing that's really interesting, this is the same play, the same thing that he says back in Matthew 5. But you know what? Matthew 5 and Matthew 19, it's the only two places in all of Scripture that mention it. When Mark tells this story, Mark doesn't even bother to include that clause, that pornania clause. Mark just says, if you divorce, marry another, you're committing adultery. So it's like it's not even there. Interestingly, when you go over to 1 Corinthians 7, Paul, as he's talking about marriage and divorce, he never mentions pornania either. But what he does mention, and he says, I'm, I'm telling you this, and he words it in such a way it's like Jesus talked about this, but I'm going to tell you something else. And he's speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He talks about when a, a believer is married to an unbeliever, and that unbeliever finally decides they want out. That the, the believer is not bound to have to stay in this marriage. If that unbeliever leaves, they can leave. You know, of course, our laws are set up that if someone wants out of a marriage, it doesn't matter what the other person has, but uh, can do. You can't stop it. But essentially, Paul adds a second exception. There's this pornania that Jesus mentions, but interestingly, he only mentions it in Matthew, or it's, you know, uh, only Matthew mentions it, Mark didn't mention it, and then Paul adds in this abandonment. It's kind of interesting. Let me take your Bible and turn with me over to 1 Corinthians 7. That's the passage I've been talking about, and I want to show you something else here. Matthew 7 Verse 15, this is where Paul is kind of wrapping up that discussion about if an unbeliever decides he wants to leave or if an unbeliever, she decides she wants to leave, this unbeliever wants to get out of that spiritually mixed marriage, they can go and the believer is not under bondage. Notice where it says in verse 15, it says, the sister is not under bondage in such cases. It's kind of interesting, that word, the, that little clause, in such cases, uh, probably is better translated as in cases such as these. Uh, if, you're inter- if you're familiar with various theologians, one of the really most respected theologians there is today, it's a guy named Wayne Grudem. And Wayne Grudem sees that 
that that's kind of a, a, a I don't know what you want to say, opening or a indication that there might be some other cases where that divorce is permissible. But what you see here is, is pornonia, you see abandonment, and then this clause of in cases such like, in such cases as these. But all of them are extreme. All of them are, are like big things. They're, they're, they're compound things. And so it's not like, you know, slip on a banana pill and, oh, good, I can go call the lawyer now because I've been wanting out of this thing forever. Finally got a biblical reason to get out of it. No, that, it, it, it is the attitude is that this is a last resort that he is talking about. So what Jesus did in this discussion with the, with the Pharisees is he basically taught us, the disciples, what marriage is, why marriage existed in the first place. And then he also opened up the door and said, and here are those rare extreme situations that show you when a divorce would be permissible, even though it's undesirable. That's what this passage is all about. So with just a little bit of time I've got left, what I want to do is I want to do like I like to do. I want to just ask, so what? What's the takeaway? I mean, we okay, we've gotten down and dirty, looked at the, 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 the details of the text a lot closer than we tend to do. But what is the so what? What's the takeaway? You know what the takeaway is today if you're married? You need to pursue that marriage with reckless abandon. I mean, God has designed you to be in partnership to demonstrate that oneness that he talked about back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, as the whole reason why he even created human beings in the first place. He created us in his image. In the image of God, he created the, he them. Male and female, he created them. To, to demonstrate this oneness, to demonstrate this unity, to, to demonstrate that we're different than the animals. We're different than the plant life. All these things that God had created in chapter 1, he gets to, to, to chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Jesus is saying, then he created human beings. And human beings, totally different. You don't look at the animals to figure out how to do marriage. You don't look at the trees to figure out how to do marriage. You don't look at the birds and the bees to figure out how to get marriage. Human beings, I'm going to tell you how you guys do marriage. And that's what God was doing. You're the crown of theation. You're, you're, the, you're the only thing I created that I said is in my image. In the image of God, he created them. When God leads you into a marriage, God created that marriage to put you in a position to demonstrate what he meant by those verses there in the beginning of, the, of Genesis. God, it, 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 your marriage is not, first and foremost, for your personal fulfillment, 
Your, your marriage is not for your personal prosperity. Your marriage is not so that you've got someone to hang with on a Friday night or Saturday night. Your marriage is that God has invited you to come into this institution that demonstrates so much. And we, we didn't even go there in Ephesians 5 where we talked about this is, this is the thing that demonstrates the relationship that Jesus has with the church. We could go to the Old Testament and, and God was constantly referring to the, the nation of Israel as his wife, his bride, his spouse, and, and them being a, a faithful spouse. That marriage, your marriage, my marriage is, is to demonstrate this, this love relationship that God has with things like the church, things like he had with Israel to demonstrate an unconditional, sacrificial love that does not come out of the heart of man. It is something that is like a God-given empowerment that comes out of the, the fruit of the Spirit to love unconditionally and loyally. Your marriage is a calling. And so part of the so what is that it needs to move way up on our priority list. I mean, way too often the things of life get in the way of, of making that marriage what it should be. Whether it's a career or a children or other interests or whatever. And all of a sudden that person ceases to be the priority in their life. And I think that is totally unbiblical. What God is saying is I'm putting to you in this relationship, this covenant-ordained relationship to demonstrate certain things. It's a post of ministry, a platform of ministry. And so if there's ever a so what that should come out of a passage like this when, when the, the, the hypocrites of the day said, hey, when can I get a divorce? Jesus stopped and said, hey, wait a minute, let's talk about marriage. And, you know, if you just paid attention to what the cultural discussion is today, I mean, boy, are people lost about what a, really, a marriage really is. And yet we as God's people who have the Word of God, who, who, who can go to the passages that I've been talking about, passages that we didn't look at today, I'll acknowledge that. We only looked at one of them, and even that one was brief. When we see what God's calling is upon a marriage, boy, if ever there was a time when people needed to see good marriages, whenever there was a time to, when people needed to see, you know, a husband and a wife in, in a loving, committed, faithful, God-honoring marriage, it's now. Because truth of the matter is, they're few and far between. They're few and far between. Now, okay, he brought up the whole thing about divorce and remarriage and all that stuff, and, you know, that's important. So let me, let me just answer some other questions. What are some so what's there? And I'll just put it all up there on the screen. I think the first thing you got to walk away with, and you might want to write these down or take a picture of the screen because this is, this, these are good takeaways, okay? Divorce should always be that last option, if it ever is an option even 
to begin with. Even if there is pornonia, even if there is abandonment, even if there is a, a case that, that it seems like Paul might have been opening up of such cases as these, even in those situations, remember the passage of Scripture we looked at last week, we're supposed to forgive, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Always forgive, always forgive as we've been forgiven. Grant grace as God has granted grace to us. I mean, just because there's that incident, God's not saying, oh, okay, one and done. God is saying, no, seven times 70, and then you're still not done. I mean, it's always supposed to be there. But God, recognizing the hardness of our heart, the hardness of humanity's heart, recognizing that in a sinful world with an active Satan who, who is constantly seeking to, to mess up life and make people's lives miserable, yes, God did it in His grace because of the hardness of our heart permitted divorce. But when you go to Scripture and you see what He permitted it for, it was huge things, huge things. Pornania, uh, abandonment, and things really serious like that. It wasn't just, man, we, we, were, we, were, we were tight in our 20s, drifted in our 30s, and now I need a wife for my middle age. You know, I heard someone say that once. I mean, you know, you know I've I, I, I got a wife for... You know, my youth, got a wife for having my kids, and now he was looking for someone rich for his retirement. I'm like, where did you get that? Because that isn't in one of the 66 that I read pretty regularly. Is marriage permissible? I think, yes, Scripture, even though we never looked at any of the passages. Is remarriage permissible? Yes, if there's a biblical divorce, I think there can be a biblical remarriage. But I'm going to say something that's kind of controversial may not be welcome. If there wasn't a biblical divorce, really the responsibility is to continue to try to seek reconciliation as long as reconciliation is possible. It may not always be possible. When it ceases to be possible, then I suppose remarriage could be permissible. But if there was a valid biblical divorce, yeah, there can be valid biblical remarriage. Scholars are, you know, back and forth on that, but I think that Scripture is pretty clear. I mean, isn't it interesting that Jesus said, you divorce, you marry another, you commit adultery. I mean, that, that wasn't just glossed over. There's, there's something there that's worth getting it. So that raises the question, what do I do? My divorce or my remarriage wasn't biblical. You know what you do with that? You do with that what you do with every sin. You confess it. You claim the forgiveness of God that is in Christ Jesus. And you move on. You move on. I mean, truth of the matter is, I think one of the most powerful things in my life in other people's lives, is when I own my sin. When I recognize and say and admit 
you know what? That was wrong. That was sinful. I can't roll the clock back. I can't undo. But that was sin. Way too often, we look at sin in our history and we refuse to call it that. It's like we're never agreeing with God that that was sin. And it doesn't have to just be with marriage or sex or something else. I mean, we can look back on a business deal. And if we never come to the realization and honesty with ourselves, with the people around us, with God, and say, you know what? I was a thief. I I stole. I hurt. I was wrong. That's always going to be a wedge in my life. God and I are always going to disagree about that incident 32 years ago. And God says, no. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Yeah, many people divorced unbiblically, remarried unbiblically. Not to minimize it, but there's forgiveness. That's the incredible thing about our God. We have a God that is so gracious and loves us so much. He sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for my sins. Whether it was theft or hurt or pornonia or abandonment or some other things such as these. Some people look at it and say, well, you know, if I do this, God will forgive me anyway. You know what? It's not. What an attitude. The Old Testament, the King James Version, calls those high-handed sins. And you know what? The consequences of high-handed sins are rough. It, it, that really is when the heart is on hardest. It, the hardness of the heart is on full display. If you're in that position where you're saying, you know what, I don't care. I'm going to do it. You know, I'll, I'll first John 1, 9 it in six months. But I'm out of this thing. Boy, that, that, that speaks volumes to where? Because the, the heart of a disciple, a person that is really seeking to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, is a person who wants to take that heart and make it as soft and pliable and open to what the Holy Spirit is doing in it. And that last comment there, you don't want to go there. And yet too many people do. What's the real big so what? I just want to end it on a positive note here. Man, if you're married, go for it. God has put you into a position where he has given you this opportunity to demonstrate his love for humanity, his love for his church, his love for his people. And when you are in that kind of relationship with your spouse and, and you know, you're dealing with the struggles of life, the sin of life, the hardship of life, and you're doing it in God's way, that speaks volumes to the world. Boy, I'll tell you what, we're, we're, we're in a time when the world needs to see and hear what God thinks about everything, even marriage. 
And if you're married today, or you someday intend to get married or hope to get married, that's the calling that God has placed on your life in that area to, to demonstrate God's incredible love and forgiveness and contentment and peace and joy. Is it easy? No, it's actually kind of hard. That's why we got the Holy Spirit who, who wants to empower us and love us and mold us and make us into God's image. Let's pray. I'd like you just to uh, bow your heads, close your eyes. If you're sitting next to your spouse, I'd like you to take his or her hand. And here's what I want to do. If you're married, right now, just in the quietness of your heart, I want you to pray for your spouse and pray for your marriage and pray that God would make it what he desires it to be. If you're here and you're not married, single, I want to ask you right now to pray either for your future marriage, if you so desire, or pray for someone close to you that's married. Maybe, maybe your parents' marriage. Maybe you've got a sibling that's married. maybe your children's marriage. But if you're not married right now, I want you, too, to pray for someone who's married. And just pray that God would enable them in a time when uh, so much is at stake and the world just seems like it is totally rejecting God's truth. So right now, let's let's each pray. inside of us a, uh, an openness for the Holy Spirit to teach us all that you meant when you talked
talked about becoming one. Father, the world needs to see marriages that work, marriages that are meaningful. They need to see you in those marriages. And I pray, Father, that today we'd be people that are faithful to that. Faithful to that calling. Lord, I thank you that uh, you have provided us with grace and forgiveness. The ability to uh, cancel the debts that we inflict upon one another. Father, in this climate, when when marriage is hard, when uh, the world is is presenting so many other options, Father, I pray that you would give us the uh, the ability to be people of grace and forgiveness and courage. And Father, we really and truly would pursue. Father, we're grateful that uh, Jesus is our Savior. We're grateful that he died for us. We're grateful that we can gather in his name. And uh, we just uh, pray for his blessing to be upon us today. As we're dismissed and we head uh, our various ways, Father, we pray that uh, you would help us to meditate deeply on the things we've just been seeing in your word. And that, Father, there really truly would be a life change because of being encountered with your truth. Pray for your blessing. Pray for your strength. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. May God bless. Have a great afternoon.